Good morning. Uh, if you're uh, playing around uh, with the app, the sermon will be downloaded tomorrow. So, um, and, that, and that's cool. So I, I, to- I totally get it. All right. So we've been playing with it for like two and a half months. So um, uh, let, me, uh, let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into today's message. Right, Heavenly Father, uh, we uh, thank you for this morning. And uh, it's exciting uh, for me every time we start a new series, Lord. And I just pray uh, the next five weeks or so would be an encouragement uh, as we study the book of Titus. Uh, We thank you again for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I came across a a short quiz uh, on the internet that asked the question whether or not you should be a manager or a leader. And it kind of tests our uh, ability to do that. So here's question number one. How do you put a giraffe in a refrigerator? All right. How do you put a giraffe in a refrigerator? The correct answer is open up the refrigerator, put in the giraffe, and close the door. Uh, This question tests whether or not you are able to do things in a simple way or whether you do them in a more complicated way, all right? Question number two, how do you put an elephant into a refrigerator? Wrong answer is open the refrigerator, put in the elephant, and close the refrigerator. The correct answer is open the refrigerator, take out the giraffe that you just put in the refrigerator, and put in the elephant and close the door. This tests your ability to think through the repercussions of your actions. Question number three, the Lion King is hosting an animal conference. All the animals attend except one. Which animal does not attend? The correct answer, the elephant, because he's in the refrigerator, right? All right, so one, one last question. There's a river, you must cross it. You know that river is inhabited by crocodiles. How do you manage it? Correct answer, you swim across because all the crocodiles are attending the animal conference. All right? Uh, true, kind of, true kind of quiz, honestly, uh, to, to test your ability to think through problems and, and things like that. Now, um, I, I don't know how you came out on that quiz, but I have kind of two core convictions that if you've been around here for a while, you've heard me have these convictions before uh, about leadership. And uh, I want to start out, the book of Titus is a lot about leadership. And uh, so I want to start out our study of the book of Titus with these kind of two core convictions I have. And the first one is this, everybody is a leader. Everybody is a leader. That whenever we talk about leadership in any way, I can kind of see a certain amount of the crowd, your kind of eyes kind of roll back into the back of your head because leadership is other people. And you don't consider yourself a leader. We think that's somebody else. But if you believe in John Maxwell's definition of leadership, when he gave the most simple definition I've ever heard, leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. That means that every single person in this room is a leader because every person in this room has influence. Right? The spheres of influence in this room are honestly quite amazing. Some of you have a parental influence, that right now you're raising kids, and you have maybe not as much as you'd like, right? but you have, you have parental influence over your kids. Some of you, you have a grand parental influence, and you're involved in your grandkids' lives, and uh, you're influencing them. Some of you have a career sphere of influence that um, you, you work in a company or a corporation, and you manage people where you work. Some of you have a relational sphere, and you're just friends with people that you have influence over whether you like that or not. So w- when we talk about leadership, I really need every one of us to adopt this attitude, all right, that I am a leader. Go ahead and say that with me. I am a leader. Because I know there's a huge resistance to people whenever we talk about leadership that that's not them, and, and it just is. The other conviction I have is that leadership is primarily relational, not positional. 
Leadership is primarily relational, not positional. And I would guess every bad boss you've ever had did not, does not understand this conviction. That every bad boss you've ever had failed to understand this, that they love to play the boss card or the I'm in charge card or it says CEO on the outside of my office card. They love to play that card. <clears throat> And because of this conviction, I believe when you play that card, you've already lost. If leadership is influenced and you have to play the I, because I said so card, because you can do that. That is your right to do. But I believe if, re, if leadership is truly relational, you've already lost the battle. I remember uh, I had a couple in for counseling one time and uh, their marriage was in real trouble and they were exasperated with each other. And at one point the man said, <clears throat> As far as I understand the Bible, I'm the head of the household and my wife just needs to submit. And I just kind of looked, you know, I didn't even say anything. I just looked at him and go, you've already lost. You've already lost. If you feel like you have to play this, I'm in charge card, I'm the boss card. It says CEO on my business card. If you have to play that card, you've already lost because leadership is primarily relational, not positional. Let me show you, uh, Jesus taught this one time. He said, then the mothers of Zebedee's sons came to him, came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. Now just think about that for a minute. Jesus, I need to ask you a favor, right? What is it you want, she asked. She said, grant that my, uh, one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the, hurt, when the 10 heard about this, the other 10 apostles heard it, they were indignant with the two brothers because they hadn't thought of it, right? Um, <clears throat> Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples this truth, that it's not positional. They were looking for a position in his kingdom, a way to be able to say, hey, I'm in charge. You know, I, it says on my business card, that whole thing. And Jesus says, no, it's relational. Right, and positional leadership, when you primarily view your leadership as positional, this leads to all sorts of negative things. It's the controlling leader. It's the angry leader. It's the entitled leader. And Jesus is trying to teach his disciples that, you know, this is relational. And specifically in our relationships, it is a servant mindset that we seek to serve those that we lead and we seek to love those that we lead in that way. It's all about being their servant. Now, Let's transition to Titus, because many people think that the Apostle Paul was one of the greatest leaders that, that ever lived. And you think about, just for a minute, let's go through kind of his resume, some of his contributions to the kingdom. Did you know that the Apostle Paul uh, wrote 13 of the books of the New Testament? 13 books 
were written by the Apostle Paul. We know that of at least 14 churches that Paul planted, and many people estimate that he probably planted a lot more churches than that. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul kind of led the charge to have the gospel kind of transition into what is now modern-day Europe that allowed the gospel to eventually come to the United States. So we have a lot to thank Paul for, but one of his greatest contributions to the kingdom was Paul loved to invest in young leaders. Uh, he loved to invest, he invested in a guy named Timothy, and he invested in a young man named Titus. So if you have your Bibles, open them up uh, to the book of Titus. Uh, this is a young man uh, that Paul uh, invested in. He was a Greek believer uh, that Paul, throughout the New Testament, uh, will use Titus as an example of what God was doing amongst people that were not Jewish. So in the first century, there was a lot of debate about, man, if you're not Jewish, do you need to become Jewish uh, to become a Christian? And can a non-Jewish person even receive the Holy Spirit? And Paul repeatedly pointed to Titus as an example of somebody who was not Jewish who had received the Holy Spirit. And Titus actually ends up standing before the early church and ends up speaking at one point. And so uh, Paul kind of mentored Titus. Titus eventually ends up leading all of these churches all over uh, the island of Crete, and, and he kind of ends up becoming, to a large extent, uh, Paul's uh, right-hand guy, and Paul eventually writes him a letter. And like I said at the beginning, this letter is a lot about leadership. Paul's leadership, uh, Titus's leadership, leadership in the church, and so we're going we're gonna to spend a few weeks uh, studying this together. We're going to start in verses 1 through 4, and we're not going to move that slow the whole time. Uh, but today I just want to show you the preamble of this, of this great letter. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness and the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now, at his appointed season, he has brought to life through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son, in our common faith. So right from the get-go here, we get an opportunity to learn about the leadership of Paul. Uh, I mentioned that Paul mentored Titus, one of the greatest leaders that ever lived. And the first thing we see about Paul in this kind of preamble is that he has his correct identity in the correct order, right? Did you notice that? He views himself first as a servant of God. That's the very first thing that he mentions about himself. This is his primary, uh, primary identity, that he views himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's important that we view ourselves the same way, that our primary identity as, as Christians is that we view ourselves as servants of God, that we exist and God created us to serve him. So we are, first of all, servants. And here's why this is so important. We all have secondary identities. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a minister. These are all key components of who I am and what I value. And I call it a secondary identity. But you know what it really is? It's really the environments that God has placed me in to achieve my primary identity. That he has called me to be a servant of his. So I'm a dad. And I want to serve God as a dad. I'm a minister. I want to serve God as a minister. I'm a husband. I want to serve God as a husband. And so Paul had his identities in, in the right thing. That First of all, he views himself as a servant of God. Now his secondary identity that he's, he identifies himself with is he's an apostle. 
He's an apostle. Let's pause there just for a minute and talk about that because in the, in the first century, being an apostle was a big deal. That being an apostle in the first century meant that you had kind of walked and talked with Jesus, that you had seen things that not very many other people had seen. Now think about that just for a minute because in the early church, that gave you additional authority. That gave you an additional voice. That gave you additional influence because you had seen and heard things walking with Jesus that really not very many other people had seen and heard. And think about the influence that came with that. When you were able to stand uh, before a group of people and say, man, I walked with Jesus for three years, right? That gives you additional influence. It gives you additional leadership. And Paul is identified here as an apostle. So uh, Cheryl and I just got back from vacation. Part of our vacation uh, was uh, we went to uh, Seattle together, just the two of us. Uh, Sam stayed with his uh, aunt and uncle. And uh, one of the things that, reasons we went out to Seattle was Cheryl had this kind of bucket list thing that she wanted to see the orcas in their natural environment. And her birthday's coming in August, so we decided to do it. Um, we didn't see any orcas. Uh, but that's another story for another sermon. So uh, we got a postcard with an orca on it, which was very, very cool. And lots of stuffed animals all over Seattle. But anyway, one of the things that we did in Seattle was we went to Pike's Marketplace, uh, this kind of big place where they, you know, they throw the fish around and all of that. And when we first arrived in Seattle and went to the marketplace, it was so overwhelming because there were so many people around and so many ty types of food to try and, and so much to do. And so one of the smart things we did that we didn't even realize how smart it was, was we had lined up a food tour of the market. This was somebody familiar with the area that knew the best food and, and took us to try all the best foods. So he took us to the world's best macaroni and cheese. Um, right? he, he took us to some of the best yogurt to this day I've ever had in my life. Uh, he, he took us to this place that served chocolate-covered cherries. It was awesome. But somebody who had personally experienced those things is a very, very powerful and influential uh, uh, place to be. And this is what it meant to be an apostle. Think about that for a minute. Like I, I've been talking to you about that, that these guys had walked and talked with Jesus. Now, here's the problem. Paul being considered an apostle was a controversial thing because he had become a Christian after Jesus ascended back to heaven. Uh, so he hadn't walked with Jesus, he hadn't really talked with Jesus, but what had happened with Paul was that Jesus had appeared to him during his conversion. And so Jesus had appeared to Paul. Uh, we don't know exactly what that looked like. It's one of those great questions I'm thinking about asking when I get to, to heaven. But the, the early church decided that because of that, that kind of view of Jesus during his conversion, that Paul should be an apostle. He held that position and on a number of occasions in the Bible. Uh, Paul defended his apostleship. He defended his ministry. He, he wanted, because a lot of people were saying, Paul, you shouldn't even be an apostle. You shouldn't have this influence. Paul said, I should be an apostle, and he would lay out why, but he never mistook that as his primary identity. His primary identity was not a position he held. His primary identity was that he was a servant of, of God. And being an apostle, that's the way he accomplished his primary mission. Well, that, that's how he served God, but it wasn't his primary identity. And so listen, you are a husband or you are a wife, second. You are a parent, second. Uh, you are a leader, second. You are a nurse or a teacher or whatever you do for a living, second. First, you are a servant of God. First, you are a servant of God. And whatever that secondary thing is, I keep referring, I couldn't think of a better way to refer to it. Maybe it's vacation fog or whatever. Um, but it's really not even secondary identity. 
whatever that secondary thing is, it, it, that is the place God has put you in so that you can live out your first identity, which is to be a servant of God. And what happens when we get that wrong? When we, we stop seeing God as our primary identity and, and our secondary identity becomes our primary identity, what happens is that secondary identity becomes our master and it becomes our Lord and it becomes the thing that we worship. When God should be first and serving him should be first, when secondary identity takes the place of that man, like I'm a dad first, uh, I'm a, a nurse or teacher or doctor, whatever, first, when, when that becomes our primary identity, uh, it doesn't work very well because it becomes the thing that we worship. So our kids become our primary identity and our joy and our hope and our peace rests on how they're doing. Our marriage becomes our primary identity and all of a sudden all of our, our joy, hope, and peace rests in what's going on with our spouse and what they think of us. Our, our joy becomes our job. Our salvation becomes our relationships. And here's the problem. Those things were never designed to be your God. They were designed to be the place where you live out your primary calling, which is to be a servant of God. And they will disappoint you they will. They will disappoint you. They will not deliver because your primary identity is God and being a servant of his. So that's Paul, all right? He's got his primary identity in the right place. He's got his secondary identity in the right place. They're in the right order. And now we kind of see his mission as a leader as we read through the text. All right, you can see everything Paul did flowed from his identity as a servant of God. And here's what he said his mission was based on his identity, was he was uh, called by God to further the faith of the elect, to further the faith of the elect, that everything Paul did as a leader was trying to encourage people to walk in, in faith. The Bible defines faith as being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And so this is what Paul wanted to do. He wanted to encourage people to be certain. He, he wanted to be, uh, encourage people to be sure of, of God. And then his second thing that he did is he wanted to uh, increase people in the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Paul believed, and I do too, that if people understood what was true, if people understood what was true, they would live according to what was true. That they would live godly lives if they were taught what that looks like and what that means. When they see the truth that is found in Jesus, they would want to live that way because Jesus is and was and will always be awesome and his commands and his desires are good. So Paul believed it was a teaching thing, that people needed to be taught how to live according to, to, to the godly way and that they would live according to that godly way. This has become one of our core values of parenting. We were taught this in a book, that kids do well, children do well if they can, not children do well if they want to. So here's the kind of idea of it, is that every kid wants to do well. Have you ever met a kid that doesn't want to do well? Every kid wants to do well. They have to be taught how to do well. From a very early age, what is right and what is wrong, how to live good and productive lives, people are the same way. I really believe this. Most people want to do well. They do. Most Christians want to live according to God's will and live obedient lives. Paul said, we just need to be taught. We need to be taught what is good and right. And if people are taught what is good and right, Paul believed they would live according to that truth. He believed it was a teaching chasm, not a desire chasm. That most people I've met want to do well. They want to live godly lives. We just need to be taught that. And that was Paul's conviction. And notice what he says in verse 2. He says that this faith that he's encouraging, this knowledge of, of the truth, notice what it rests on. It rests on the hope of eternal lives. And there are two ideas running through that. The first is hope, that Paul wanted everything he taught, 
and everything he encouraged to be built on the foundation of hope and in other passages you see um, on, on grace. And it's interesting because I think there's this part of us that believes that if you want people to be obedient and you want people to grow in faith, make them scared. Make them scared. Make them fearful of God. Put the fear of God into them and, and they'll adjust their life. If you kind of dangle heaven and hell over them a little bit, they'll, they'll get right in line. And Paul would say, no, no, no. You, you want to see people live godly lives. You want to see them walk in the truth. Remind them of the hope they have in Jesus. Remind them of, of grace. And you know why that's true? Because hope reminds us that God is good. Hope reminds us that God's plan is going to be seen through at, at the end. Hope reminds us that God should be followed and God should be listened to because he is a good God. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says about God, your kindness leads us to repentance. Your kindness, understanding the kindness of God is what leads us to repentance. It's a reminder that God is good and I should do things his good way. The other thing running through this verse is the hope of eternal life. And when we think of eternal life, I don't know about you, but I think of like choirs of angels and streets of gold and seeing family members that have, have passed and uh, no more death and dying and, and pain. And that's what I tend to think about when I think about eternal life. But biblically, you know what eternal life is? Eternal life is life with God. So if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, not to freak you out with this, but your eternal life has already started. Right? As you follow him, as you love him, as you walk with him, your eternal life started the minute you put your faith in Jesus. And so what Paul is saying is, man, if I can kind of increase people's faith, if I can give them a knowledge of the truth, I can lead them to life. I can lead them to life. I can lead them to life eternal, that they'll find a life that is almost heaven-like this side of heaven before it's perfected in heaven. So this is Paul. He has his identity in the right place. He's a servant of God, an apostle second. He's following that out with his mission statement that I'm gonna encourage faith and knowledge of the truth and I'm gonna have that rest on the hope of eternal life and I'm gonna accomplish it through preaching. That for Paul, at some point you have to have the, how are we gonna do this? And for Paul, what Paul felt called to was, he said, I'm gonna preach. If I'm gonna increase faith, if I'm gonna increase knowledge, Paul's way of doing that was he was going to preach and proclaim God's word until the moment he died. So let me ask you a couple questions as we get ready to close. Is your primary identity as a leader where it should be? Are you a servant of God first? that you exist to serve him and you're a parent or a teacher or a spouse second and that's the avenue that God has given you to serve him. Is that right in your mind? And then here's the second question after that. Do you have a clear, articulate vision for what you will accomplish as God's servant in all the areas he's entrusted with? So have you thought through this at all? Like Paul had a sense of identity and he had a sense of mission. I think a lot of us have a sense of identity. We don't have a sense of mission. That, that man, God has uh, given me this hope. He's given me this faith. How am I going to serve God in my family? How am I going to serve God in my work? How am I going to serve God in my community? How am I going to serve God in my marriage? And listen, if you don't have that sense of mission, you can steal Paul's. That's okay. You can steal Paul's. Paul says, I'm going to encourage faith and knowledge of the truth. Right? So Paul had this sense of mission flowing from his sense of identity. I'm going to encourage faith. I'm going to encourage knowledge. I'm going to do it through preaching. Steal it if you like it. 
but I want you to know that there are some other biblical ideas that God could lead you to that will give you a sense of mission and purpose in this life. Like, let me give you a few. That I want to be an instrument of, of, of the joy that comes from Jesus in my community. So that's a, that's a sense of mission. I want to be an instrument of joy to the people around me. I want to be an instrument of peace at work. Everybody at work is all high anxiety and they don't have any peace. I want to be an instrument of peace at work. I want to be an example of hope to those around me. I want to be an example of good and right living to my kids. That God has placed me in this environment. And and I think probably a lot of us in this room have our identity right where it needs to be. But I wonder if this mission piece is, is missing. That man, my mission is I want to be Uh, I want to be an example of joy in Jesus. I want to be an example of mission in Jesus. I want to be an example of hope in Jesus. What is your mission? Have you thought through it? Have you written it down? It will change from time to time, but what is he calling to, to accomplish? And then exactly like Paul said, how are you going to accomplish it? What is the how? For Paul, like I said, it was preaching. For you, maybe it's, we're going to start to serve together as a family. If we want to be an example of uh, what a life of service looks like in this community, we're going to start to serve together as a family. We're going to read our Bible out loud as a family. Um, And you just got a brand new app to help you do that, actually. Um, Try to say that as much as we can today. I'm going to read my Bible at lunch. I'm going to build a deeper friendship with this person. I'm I'm going to get some help uh, from a, a therapist so I can better demonstrate peace. What is the plan that goes with the mission? So Paul had all of these elements in place, identity, mission, and the way he was going to accomplish that mission. And I think it's important for us as we start this series, as people that have influence and as people that are leaders, to think through this. Is my identity where it needs to be? Do I have a sense of mission? That, man, this is what God has called me to do. For Paul, you know, it, it was encouraging knowledge and, and all of that stuff that, that we've already talked about. What, what, is, what is God calling me to in the areas that he's given me? And then what is my plan to execute his mission for my life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, that, that you have given us um, an identity that comes from you. Uh, a lot of us uh, have been told who and what we are. Uh, We want to receive that from you. Uh, And Lord, the other conviction I have is that every person in this room, you have also given them a mission. Just like Paul. And I don't know what it is. Maybe they don't know what it is. But here's what I know. You know what it is. And so I pray as we sing this song together that you would begin to stir in our hearts that this is my mission for you. I, I didn't make you a parent by accident. I didn't make you a teacher by accident. I, I didn't, this is part of my mission for you and I want you to go into that environment and I want you to be uh, uh, an example of peace or an example of hope or, or an example of whatever and you know what that is. And so I just pray that you would begin to make that clear and as we're thinking through this kind of idea of leadership that you would begin to speak to our hearts and our minds and, and that you would give us um, the right tool in our toolbox to accomplish it. Um, For Paul, it was preaching. Maybe for another, it's praying for people. Maybe for another, it's uh, just talking with people and helping them conversationally. You know, Lord. We might not know, but you know. And so make it clear to us. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We stand. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And uh, I'd love to, we'd love to pray with you this morning. Um, If uh, uh, you have any prayer requests, prayer need, we'd love to 
pray for you and with you and over your situation. Um, if you uh, would like to know more about Jesus and having a relationship with him, um, we'd love to begin a conversation with you about Jesus as well as we sing this song together. You come on forward if you want to.